0: Welcome to the Faith Cub Podcast. We are glad you're here today. May God bless you in order for you to be a blessing to those around you. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. It is an honor to be with you on this Labor Day weekend, and to be back preaching after uh, several weeks off in a row. Uh, The last three weeks, Pastor Jeff led us through a series uh, on uh, life abundant and what it means to uh, live into and live out of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and how the abundance of living comes from our connection uh, through Christ and His Spirit at work in our lives. Before that, we were also uh, doing three weeks in our uh, recurring summer series that we called Amaze, where we we're uh, jumping back into different favorite psalms, and today, because it's not quite fall yet, right? Labor Day weekend is kind of the gateway to the fall season. Uh, We have one more day today where we can jump back into our Amazed series and look at one more psalm, and today we're going to look at Psalm 63, which has a special place in my heart uh, that I'll be able to talk a little bit more about later today. But before we jump into our series, I just want to mention that even though we don't have kids worship today and the kids are with us, uh, parents don't worry if they get a little squirrely. Kids, if you need to get up and move around, uh, don't worry about that. Go ahead and feel free. Make make, make this your home today, right? Uh, we, we want to have the freedom to be comfortable, to be who we are, do what we need to do. There you go. Yeah, stretch out, relax, just don't fall asleep, right? Uh, uh, We have some activity bags in the back if you didn't realize that yet. So parents or kids, you can run back there and get some activity bags if you want something to do while the boring sermon goes on. Uh, We also have the Rockabye Room where we're streaming the service in there. If you want to get out of this room and just be able to, to take the kids somewhere else, feel free to do that as well. Make yourselves at home. Don't worry about squirreliness or noise. We are glad that you're here. We want you to feel comfortable. With all that being said, let's pray one more time and ask God to bless our time of looking into His Word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you look at each one of us as your lovable kids. You welcome us with uh, all of our own squirreliness, uh, both physically and spiritually, and you, in your great patience and love, invite us to continue to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to bask in his love and his presence and to learn from his spirit. And so this morning, God, we come to you knowing that we need to hear a word from you, a word that touches our lives, and so speak to us through your word and through your spirit And help us to go today knowing that we have met with a living God. And because of that, because of your word for us, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, we will be forever changed because of our time spent with you today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been thirsty? And I don't just mean like a a, a casual, hey, I'm thirsty, let's go to 7 Eleven and get a Slurpee, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Have you ever been like really, really thirsty? Like after an intensive workout and you've worked up a sweat and you're just like, oh man. I need some water. Or maybe you've worked out in the yard in the sun, and, and, and you've got like salt stains from all the sweat that's dried on your clothes, right? And you're, you're just desperate for a, a glass of water. And you get to the point where, where you finally get to that water, and, and you, you get, it's a glass or a bottle, and you, and you open the lid, and you start to drink it, and it just feels like it pours into your entire being. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been that thirsty? One time while Tammy and I were working as youth ministry interns at our church in Phoenix, and this was way back before we even started dating, we we took a group of middle school kids on a week-long camping trip to Yosemite National Park. And all week long while we were camping, we camped up in the Tuolumne Meadows. If any of you are familiar with Yosemite, it's this beautiful meadow in the upper part of the park where you can go out and you can uh, walk in the wildflower fields and you can just see the hills around you, but, but then you can take excursions down into the valley where you see all those granite peaks that are just amazing to behold. It's like a, a, a natural cathedral. If you've never been to Yosemite National Park, definitely put it on your bucket list. It's amazing. But we practiced all week long with the kids uh, hiking in different places of the park because we wanted to build them up and condition them for the big hike that we were going to take at the end of the week, which was to hike Half Dome, which is one of the most iconic peaks in the park. You've probably seen pictures of it. I probably don't even have to tell you about what it is. But but the Half Dome hike, if you're not aware, is about a 16-mile round-trip hike. It has a 4,800 foot gain in elevation and it takes about 10 to 12 hours to complete. And we're gonna do this with middle school kids. (laughs) It was a glorious adventure and and we got to the top and we had some amazing views and, 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 and just soaking in the glory of God's creation in that setting was amazing. But we had one slight scare along the way. Because you see, by the time we made it to the top, and you have to climb up, they have these cables on the backside of the the granite peak that you kind of have to climb up, so at least it's not like you're going to fall off. So there's some safety measures there. But we got to the top of the peak, and we're looking at all these views, and all of a sudden we realize we were out of water. And we were only halfway done, we had to go all the way back down the mountain, Right, So hiking in the summer heat and at the elevation of 8,800 feet at the peak where we were, everyone was getting thirsty and as leaders, we're getting worried because we don't know what we're going to do. So we're starting to get desperate for water and and feeling responsible for the welfare of all these kids. We began searching all of our gear to figure out, is there anything that we have that might, you know, rescue us from this situation? And because it was an all-day hike, we had packed food for lunch to eat along the way and we had leftover cans of tuna that, lo and behold, were packed in water. (laughs) Desperate times call for desperate measures. So we cracked open those cans of tuna, and we were all drinking warm tuna water at the top of Half (laughs) Dome, right? Cheers. Cheers is right. It was super gross to drink, but we were super grateful that we actually had water that we could drink to avoid dehydration and to get us down off the mountain. And so on the way back down, we were able to actually filter more water in the Merced River. We had water filtering capabilities. We just hadn't prepared enough to get us to the top of the mountain and back down. And so ultimately, we were able to complete the hike in in safety. But obviously, it was an experience that none of us will ever forget. Have you ever been thirsty in your life? You see, in Psalm 63, David declares that his need... For God's love and God's power in his life is like a desperate thirst for water in the middle of a desert landscape. In verse 1, it says, well, before verse 1, it says a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah, and he starts in verse 1 by saying, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and a parched land where there is no water. Now, some versions that you might be more familiar with say, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. You see, David's need here to seek after God also suggests that he is experiencing a time in his life where God seems absent. Have you ever had a, a dry spell in your spiritual life with God? You're at a time when you've gone to, to the Bible and you've read God's Word and it, it just, it's just dry. There's just nothing there. You, you pray and you, you ask for God to speak in your life, but you just don't hear anything. For, for all intents and purposes, it seems like God has disappeared. He's become absent in your life. Have you ever gone through a season like that? I think we all probably have at one point or another. And David here says that he has gone through a season where he feels isolated or separated from God. And yet he recognizes that these feelings of absence and these feelings of isolation in his life are perhaps what it feels like to be desperately thirsty for a drink of water when you're living in a desert landscape. The heading for this psalm says that when David was in the desert in Judah which most likely pictures the time in David's life, if you know his story, uh, which is captured earlier in the Old Testament, when he was fleeing from King Saul and he found refuge by living in the rugged terrain of the Negev Desert for a fairly long period of time. The Negev Desert, I have a a map and a a picture real quick. I don't know if we can pull those up, but the Negev Desert you can see is that that southern portion way south of Jerusalem, which is in the northern part, and it's a dry and a barren land. And this is a picture of what one of the valleys in the desert looks like. I mean, if there wasn't a picture of a dry and weary land, I don't know what, what more we could look for than the Negev Desert. And so out of an experience of, a uh, spiritual dryness, uh, of isolation, of feeling separated from God, uh, David begins what he calls an earnest search for, for water in a dry and a weary land. Yet even in the midst of this dry and weary season in his life, he's also declaring that his faith and his hope in God is not wavering. He remains committed to his relationship with God and this ongoing commitment, no matter what the life circumstances are that he's experiencing, is what lays the foundation for his faith and his courage to keep hope alive, that God is still there and that God still cares and that God will come through in his way and in his time. And so this imagery that we're introduced to by David in Psalm 63 allows us to begin to see God both as the water of life that we all need, the one that only satisfies completely, which we also see Jesus talking about later in the New Testament when he meets with the woman at the well, right? And he's also the God who saves his people from all the life-threatening circumstances that they find themselves in, in this broken and this fallen world. So whether it's from metaphorical desert seasons in our lives or from enemies that often surround us, either perceived or real, God is real and God cares about your life and God knows what you're going through even if you're not even able to sense his presence or his love in your life in this moment. See, this faith and this confidence is God is not based on a, a blind faith. It's based on David's knowledge and his experience of God's goodness and his faithfulness in the past. If we go on in the psalm in verse 2, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing on my lips, my mouth will praise you. You see, from the very beginning of the story of God's people, if you remember the story of the exodus out of Egypt and the wandering through the wilderness, thirst has played a prominent role in the spiritual lives of God's people. So much so that the presence of abundant water was often associated with God's favor and God's blessing on his people. And so here David is telling us through his own experience of feeling isolated and separated from God in the midst of his own difficult circumstances that just as important as water is for life in the desert for the human body, so God's love and God's power is just such a rare and life-giving commodity that it's worth searching for and, and, and investing in until you find that source of water that you so desperately need. God's love and God's power is that which we need for our human being so desperately to survive in a fallen and a broken world. And so hunger and thirst become images of our human longing for our relationship with God himself. Throughout the Bible, we can see that it's those who thirst after God, those who hunger for God's presence in their life, who are the ones who will find genuine satisfaction in living. In addition to uh, Psalm 63 and other psalms, we we also see this theme arise in passages like Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2 where the, the prophet says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. The same theme, if we are willing to recognize it, is picked up by Jesus in the New Testament as well. Where Jesus himself identifies that it's those whose desire is for God and his goodness and his righteousness in their life that that, that find the pathway to genuine enjoyment and satisfaction in living. Really quickly, just running through some passages, you may remember Matthew 5, 6, where Jesus said, "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled.'" Or in John 4, again with the woman at the well, in verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Or in John 7, verse 37, he said, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. And drink and even in the revelation at the end of time in revelation twenty-two seventeen, 17 it tells us the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life do you think god wants us to know anything about what it means to be hungry and thirsty for his power and his love in our life I think he does. See, when David says, I have seen you in the sanctuary, the, the verb used for seeing in the Bible here is most often used in reference to re- receiving a vision from the Lord. Scholars suggest that a Hebrew reader of the Bible would most likely read David's words here and think of other visions of God that were shared in worship. You may be familiar with Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. that says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, these angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, the prophet cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Such a vision is a dramatic reminder of the almost overwhelming impact of God's power and God's glory that is available to to be impacted in our life if we are open to a relationship with him. And so for David, this kind of a vision was an insight into the God that he loved and the God that he served, into who God really is, and it gives him two assurances that that we can also take away from this psalm today. The first assurance is that God is powerful enough to meet any need that you and I have. Despite the seeming distance or absence from God in our life, we can put our trust and our faith in that He is a God who is able to do all and more than we could ever ask or imagine. And the second assurance is that the love of this almighty and glorious God is ultimately better and more satisfying to your soul than even life itself. The one gives him hope that God will act, that God will take care of him, that God will show up in the right way at the right time just when he needs him and he can put his trust and his patience in waiting for God to act because God is wise and loving and knows what's best. But the other also brings him courage to remain faithfully committed to his relationship with God even in the face of difficulty and even the possibility of death. And if you know your history of the church, you know that many believers have been faced with the choice of, of staying true to their faith in God or choosing death, and, and they have been the, the martyrs of the faith. Luckily, we have not been put in that position, but God forbid, if we were ever in that position, what would you choose? Is God's love and God's power and His relationship in your life truly more valuable than even life itself? Now, we also have to keep in mind as we read through the psalm that, that this is no peaceful, serene, walking through fields of wildflowers searching for God's Spirit in our life, right? That's, that's not the tone of this psalm. Rather, this psalm suggests a kind of anxious, up all night in fear and trembling vigil, hoping to find some relief from the pain and the suffering and the anxiety that David is feeling, to to find some satisfaction when maybe, just maybe, God will actually show up and reveal his presence in his life. He goes on in verse six, he says, On my bed I remember you. He's in bed, but he's not sleeping. I think of you through the watches of the night. He can't sleep. He's too wound up. He's too anxious. Whatever is is weighing on his heart and his mind is preventing him from being able to, to be at peace and to rest and to even sleep. Have you ever been there? I know I have. But he goes on to say, because you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. And the right hand was always the right hand of power. It it was a symbol of God's authority and God's strength and God's provision for his people. And so, like keeping an intent lookout for for any source of water that you can find when you're traveling through a desert landscape, David is keeping an intent lookout for any evidence he can find of God's presence and God's activity at work within his life circumstances. How about you today? As you look at the the landscape of your life and you think about uh, the circumstances that you're going through and you think about the people that are around you and all of the interactions that you're having to navigate and the hopes and the dreams and the desires that you have for your life, what are you thirsting for? What are you hungering for and what does it feel like to not currently be satisfied with the life that you have? You see, I know in my life there's been several seasons where I have been overwhelmed by, by the fear and the anxiety and the frustration that life was not going the way that I thought it would go. Life was not happening the way I wanted it to happen. And I wasn't even sure if God was present with me or where to find God or, or how to even get back on track in a, in a sense of a, a spiritual relationship with God. Sometimes I I was simply feeling so overwhelmed by all the circumstances and not knowing how to necessarily handle them or deal with them that that God graciously led me to Psalm 63. And through Psalm 63, He he began to help me to, to reimagine and reconsider all of these feelings that were going on within me. That that actually these, these, what I perceived as negative feelings, whether they're anxiety or worry or fear or frustration or even anger, were actually signs of my own spiritual dehydration and a lack of God's grace and presence and power in my life. And it wasn't for a lack of his willingness to give me those things, it was a lack of me looking for those things in the right way and in the right place. And so God invited me to see that all of these negative feelings that that I was feeling, the dissatisfaction that I was carrying, were actually signs of thirst and hunger for him. And his invitation to me has been and continues to be through these seasons of my life to use these seemingly negative experiences to take all of these emotions and allow them to drive me back into relationship with him, to earnestly seek him to be the one who can quench that thirst, who can feed that hunger and can meet that need and allow me to calm down and to ultimately find true peace and satisfaction in my day-to-day living and life in this world. I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis had said, if you think about it, hunger is a kind of pain that we experience in life. We, We call them hunger pangs, right? It's a pain that we experience in life. But who of us, he says, would willingly live without it? Because without hunger, you wouldn't know that you needed to eat. And if you didn't need to eat, you wouldn't feed your body. And if you didn't feed your body, you'd die. And so hunger and thirst, even though they're painful, are gifts from God that remind us that we need to drink and we need to eat and we need to care for ourselves. In some ways, the pain is necessary to remind us that we need to go to God to find what only He can give and ultimately, He is the one who is everything that we need. So similarly, Psalm 63 is reminding us that in our spiritual lives with God, whether we're feeling feelings of fear or anxiety or worry, even feelings of isolation or separation from God, they can be like hunger and thirst that remind us where we need to go to find our true satisfaction and to overcome the spiritual dehydration that we often find ourselves in going through the desert landscape of life in a fallen and a broken world. And see, the earnest search with which the psalm begins finds ultimately its object and desire in the vision of God sustaining love and power and identifies that God's love and power is the anchor point that we can hang on to. It is what we can cling through through all the ups and downs of life that, that will allow us to find hope and to find help in God alone. And from this hope in God's power and from the courage that we find because of his steadfast and his faithful love, we we, we find a confidence to trust that God will act in his way and in his time and that he will deliver us from anything and anyone that seeks to take us down, to destroy us, and to want to work against us. In verse 9, he goes on to say, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. That's a faith statement right? He's using battle imagery, but he's saying those who want to destroy me, those who want to be my enemies, in God's plan, in God's will, will find themselves that they are the ones who are destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth or into the grave. They will be given over to the sword. They will become food for jackals. That's kind of gruesome Im- imagery, right? That's warfare imagery. That, that if you're an army guy and you die on the battlefield and your body is left there, then it becomes food for the wild animals who come and you know pick at the corpses. Like, but but it, it's jarring imagery that that wants us to pay attention to the fact that God is saying these are life and death issues, whether you realize it or not. Those who sought to destroy David are the ones who, in a kind of reversal of fortune, find that that God's goodness and God's righteousness and God's love always works in the favor of those who put their trust in him. Isn't that what Romans 8, 28 tells us, right? God works for the good in all things for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. And this divine deliverance is not just something that David sees that God provides for him as as the king in Israel, right? In his relationship with God, but it's something that God has promised to every person who would be willing to put their trust in him. So rather than focusing on the difficulties and the challenges of his life and fearing one's enemies and worrying about those who would seek to destroy him, David concludes in verse 11 by saying, but the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silent. See, see it drives David to worship. And brothers and sisters, that's what worship is all about. Worship isn't some duty that we perform to come in and check off your Christian to-do list so that you can go away and go about your life apart from God outside of Sunday morning. Worship isn't something that you do for one hour on Sunday morning in a building either. Right? You can worship at the top of Half Dome. You can worship as you walk across the street. You can worship while you're sitting in Starbucks, sitting, sipping your coffee. The, the, the question is not whether it's something that, that we do to earn God's favor. It's a question of whether we acknowledge who God is in and through all of the aspects of our lives. Do we glory in who God is to you and to me and to trust in his power that's at work so that that his divine glory can manifest itself at any moment, in any place, at any time? That's what genuine worship is all about. See, the confidence of the community of God's people is unmistakable in the end of this psalm here, who, who along. King David find a cause for rejoicing and praising God. And when they come together to worship God like we do on Sunday morning, we come together to celebrate all the things that God has been doing in the week before. We're not waiting for God to show up today. We're coming to celebrate that God has been showing up over and over and over again, and all of our lives are in his hands, and we come to to remind each other of that and to encourage one another to, to keep the faith and to keep moving forward, because even though you might feel separated from God this morning, and you might be in a dry season of your life, God is here, and God loves you, and God is willing to help you in ways that you might not even realize or imagine. And what David says here at the, in, at the very end is that in the end, God always has the last word. In the end, God always has the last word. All of this for us points to the recognition that that God's love and God's power are not some otherworldly someday, by and by, pie in the sky, Christian hope that if we just are good enough and if we are just strong enough, someday when we die, we're going to make it to heaven and we're going to experience all these things that God has promised us someday. The Bible tells us that because Jesus rose from the grave, gave his life for you, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, God's love and God's power is made present and available for you and for me in every moment, in every day, and in every way. that it's the very food that we need to feed our souls. It's the very water that we drink to quench our spiritual thirst. And and it's what allows us to survive and to thrive in everyday living in the desert of this world that we live in. Is your connection to God, to that God, So important and so valuable to you that you'd be willing to sacrifice anything else to keep it? Would you be willing to give up your fears and your anxieties? Would you be willing to sacrifice your worry and all the ways that you attempt to control and manage your life yourself? Would you be willing to give up all those things? Would you even be willing to give up the things that you think you're hoping for and the things that you think you're dreaming for for the possibility that maybe God has a different plan, that maybe God has a better plan in order to stay connected to the power and the love that God has for you every day, to put your trust fully in him? If we think about Jesus himself, Right? The Bible says he did not consider his life something to be held on to. He didn't cling to his own life. Taught that it was those who were willing to let go of their lives for him that would truly experience what the, what the Christian life of a life lives solely dependent on the love and the power of God really consists of. But Jesus didn't want to die, right? Jesus, Jesus isn't saying you have to want to die to be a good Christian, Jesus, in fact, said, God, if it be at all possible, could you find another way? Let this cup pass for me. But nonetheless, his bottom line was what? Not my will, but yours be done. And so we shouldn't be surprised if the Lord allows different tests and trials and challenges to come into our lives in order to help raise up what lies beneath the surface in our hearts. Because God's desire isn't to punish us, but to bring about those places of brokenness and pain that still need His healing grace and His power to be manifest in our lives. And if we're not willing to experience the the hunger and the thirst that we need to allow Him to speak into our lives in those places, we may never overcome those broken places the side of heaven but we can enter into those times and in, and we can face those things in our lives and our relationships with one another without fear because we know that god's invitation is to step into his love and his grace and allow his spirit to work out the healing that needs to happen in our lives And so as we come today, as you watch online, maybe as you hear this sermon next week or next month or even next year, because that's the amazing thing about worship today, right? It's all recorded online. And we don't know how God's gonna use all this in the future. What are the thoughts in your head? What are the emotions that you're living with? What are the imaginations that you spend time going through? What are the attitudes that you carry that keep you from being truly dependent and satisfied on God's love and God's power in your life? For some of us, sometimes it's external stuff, right? And external stuff often means other people those in our lives who we look to 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 meet our hopes for love or for affirmation or or, or for some kind of satisfaction in our life who continue to, to frustrate us and to disappoint us because we can never truly find our satisfaction in other people. But maybe we pay too much attention and put too much emphasis on our relationships with them to the detriment of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it might be a spouse, or it might be our children, or our grandchildren, or it might be a, a boss at work, or a coworker. it doesn't matter who it is, often we can get distracted from the pri- primary relationship in our life with our Heavenly Father because of the uh, people relationships that we're hoping are going to be an answer to our hopes and our dreams. Sometimes it's those internal things that we really need to open our hearts to God and admit in honesty that we've been keeping God at arm's length and we've been holding on to these things because somehow it seems too scary to let God in because he's just going to mess with it and he's going to make it hurt worse than it already does. And so we shrink back from the very love and the grace that we need because we're afraid because we're hurt, and we don't want to be hurt anymore. And Psalm 63 says, don't be afraid of the God who loves you. Don't be afraid of the grace that can save you. Don't be afraid of the peace that will heal the woundedness of your heart. Bring calmness to the imaginations of your mind and allow you to step into a whole new experience of life, of satisfaction and joy in the midst of the desert. You see, we can take all these things before God and ask Him to renew our thirst and our hunger for our relationship with Him. Because when we find our true delight and our satisfaction in God alone, we can then join with David and say, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. We, we sang in a variety of ways this morning, hallelujah, right? And I always like to, to, to say what hallelujah means, because some of us might forget, or maybe you've never known, but it, it's a compound word. Hale means praise, lu means to, and Yah is the name of God, Yahweh, praise to God. When we sing a hallelujah, when we raise a hallelujah, we're singing praise to God, and our praise to God comes out of of the resources that God pours into us when we recognize how spiritually dehydrated we've become, and that we need that desperate, cold glass of water, that if you come to God through his word, and through his spirit, and prayer, and through communing with God's people, and you pour God's love in, it it pours into your entire being. Drinking in God is like being desperately in search of water when you're dehydrated and parched and in, in, in need of that cool drink of water. Are you thirsty this morning? Are you thirsty today? God promises that he will spread his love and his care over you and me that he will protect you with his power and that he will surround you with his steadfast love and that ultimately he will hide you in the very shadow of his wings which is the place that we all long and need to be amen let's pray God, this morning some of us may be realizing that we were more thirsty today than we even realized. And I pray that God, as you reveal to us those places in our hearts and in our minds and in our external world and relationships where we are feeling worry and fear and frustration and anxiety and maybe even feeling overwhelmed that you would remind us that these are, are, are thirst and hunger pains for you. And that rather getting distracted and off track and, and trying to do all the things that will never work, help us to see that these are invitations to, to come back to you, to, to earnestly seek after you and your spirit by, by digging into your word and by, by spending time praying in the spirit and welcoming you into the day-to-day activities of our lives. And by gathering with your people to encourage and spur one another on, as the Bible says, towards love and good deeds. God, meet us in the place of our spiritual dehydration, the dryness of our souls. We recognize our need for you, and we want to drink you in again today and tomorrow and the next day and every day. Rain down upon us through your spirit now. And as we respond in singing and as we raise a hallelujah and as we come to you in worship, God, help it not to be a duty that we do just to check it off our list, but help us to truly enter into your presence and into your spirit, into the throne room of the Lord God Almighty, who is holy, who is holy, who is holy. And help us to recognize that you are all that we ever need. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Cove Podcast. Our music was written, performed, and produced by Adam Johnson. For more information about our church community, visit faithcovesumner.com. Until next time.